0: Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity-doggone gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, big fun today! One of my guitar idols, one of the most recorded session guitar players of all time. Just an absolutely astounding guitar player and cool cat. Hailing now from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. You've heard him a million times whether you know it or not. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Mason, let's go! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back! To Chewing the Gristle, I'm very excited today to have the mighty Brent Mason, guitar player that I have revered for years on end, and fortunate to uh, have spent a little time with them this past summer, yeah. and uh, boy, very fortunate to have them today so we can shoot the breeze or chew the gristle, as it were. Brent, how the heck are you? What's chew the gristle.
1: <laughs> That's a Texas thing, right? Chew the gristle.
0: <laughs> I'm chewing the gristle.
1: Yes, I like I'm, it. I'm okay. I'm, I'm uh, hunkered down. You know, I mean, I'm out doing stuff, you know, with with a mask and stuff, and we're doing studio stuff, but uh, I'm still kind of hunkered down. I'm scared of it, you know. Right, absolutely. So,
0: well, good we to were together see this past summer. Nice to see you too. We were down at uh, Andy Woods' uh, festive woodshed guitar experience yep. down there near Knoxville, That's and right. uh, they made every effort possible to make it as. Um, COVID safe. And by all intents and purposes, it looks like no one who attended or presented got COVID down there. So that was an, ex- uh, yeah, that was one of good. I think that was the only gig I really did all year since, since COVID has begun. That was, out. Well, it was out
1: there in no man's land in Tennessee, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it was a beautiful area. What a, what a, you know, area to do that. You know, for the most part, it was, you know, out in the open and a lake and all that stuff, you know, Yeah. It was wasn't, a, it was all, yeah, like you said, real mindful of the, you know, the guidelines and stuff for CDC, from CDC, but
0: from CDC. That's right. Right? <laughs> it all worked out, and we had some fun stuff. We got to do a little uh, storytelling together and whatnot. Yeah, that was, that yeah was you're really a great fun.
1: storyteller. <laughs> I, was, I always had to follow you. That You made me look bad. <laughs> it was like following Howard Stern or something, you know? like, what are you going to do? I can't follow this. <laughs> Oh yeah, I play guitar uh, and <laughs> uh,
0: quite, quite a few years. <laughs> all right, next. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. It was good. It was great it was to hear fun. you play. You know, I've been a fan of yours since forever, and I think I told you that uh, I always, I referenced that. You know, of course, all the Alan Jackson stuff that you played on. I had to play. I remember I did this thing where I had to go to Japan and do this this country thing. And a lot of the stuff that they had picked out at that particular point in time was all stuff you had played on. So that was a lot of fun. But then when I heard you on the, on the new Nashville cats record with Mark O'Connor and that tune pick it apart, I was like, this is the most savage guitar onslaught I think I've ever. (laughs) And
1: that's the way I thought of it too. Uh, It was, it was abuse. (laughs) When Mark O'Connor plays something and then you got to take a solo. It's like, just throw me in you know, in the lion's cage. Uh, like, wow. <laughs> so for,
0: for a tune like that, did, did you have any inkling beforehand or you got there and they played it and said, uh, no. here we go? No, that was recorded at the music mill at, uh, in uh, Music uh, in Nashville at
1: Music Row. <clears throat> it's not there anymore. It's probably, you know, it's a, another establishment. But uh, Harold Shedd owned that place. He was a producer, produced Alabama and a bunch of, bunch of acts, you know, Shania. Um, it was a cold winter... Evening, I went in there. Didn't have gloves on, and I, you know, the cartage had set up some of my stuff, but I, I was carrying it a special little, like a deluxe or something, and, and a guitar, no gloves. And I go, I wonder what we're doing today. <laughs> Mark, Mark goes, we're doing this. You know, I had like one, 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 one. Right. It was fat. I was going, oh my god, please. <laughs> I had no idea what it was, so it was a, he. His his whole goal was to record the fastest BPMs, you know, ever recorded or something, you know, like 200 beats a minute. And it was like, and I thought I started sweating blood right away, you know, and this, and of course, like you heard it, it was uh, this long solo that, that after you got tired, then you, then it stopped and you had to play like four bars by yourself after you already played everything, you know, uh, right. you know. <laughs> but it was like, Oh my God. I'm glad I didn't know that. Cause I might've called in sick, man. I got stuck in the snow. I can't make it in Mark. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> glad that one didn't. to me and I'll piece it in. Uh, back then it was, you know, pre-digital, I think. I, yeah, it definitely wasn't digital. It,
0: you know, it, it was analog tape, baby. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is monstrous. You know, and, and that made me think about the, you know, I always, when people ask me if I could do things over again, playing wise, you know, what would I, what would I recommend to someone? And I always think of, you know, knowing the styles that I would get into later, if I would have started with a thumb pick, because it just seems that when you play with a thumb pick, you know, cause I do the hybrid picking thing. And of course, as soon as you take that first finger out of commission, you're kind of losing your best ally. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get that thumb and then these two fingers, it's it's like unstoppable. So how was it one of those things where you grew up with you know, people that were like Chet Acolytes and Merle Travis and Jerry Reed, that kind of stuff?
1: Well, my my dad played Merle Travis style, you know, the old like, uh, uh, that nine pound, hammer pound, you know, thumb uh, first finger. He was his thumb first finger, you know, bass lines and a little bit of melody on top. So when he showed me, that's where I started with the thumb pick and then he'd already, you know, played some Chet Atkins stuff, which he had a bunch of Chet albums. He was a fan of Chet. So I heard this all the time at home, and then then I got into Jerry Reed. You know, he, he brought home some early albums of Jerry Reed, like uh, uh, Nashville Underground, I think was one that was just explosive stuff. And I went, wow! So I started just copying that stuff, right, mm-hmm. lifting it off of phonograph albums. You know, phonetically just learning the stuff. Sure. Back then, for us, kind of old old guys, you know, we didn't have uh, the, the technology. <laughs> right. We, <laughs> we have now by era. far, by far, <laughs> Uh you know. But it was, uh, you know, I just didn't know any better, if you want to put it that way. I just stuck with a thumb pick even when I started going into different styles of music, you know. But unlike maybe a lot of guys that start out <laughs> listening to, you know, like Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton or something, you know, I started out with country guitar players like Roy Nichols with Merle Haggard and Jerry Reed and Chet and all that stuff, you know? So, you know, i basically most of that was all finger style.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And I think all that, you know, being exposed to that kind of music early on were as opposed to, You know, someone like me who was the the initial impetus was Hendrix and Cream and and Zeppelin and Allman Brothers and this kind of stuff. Is that when you start off listening to, you know, Chet and those guys, there's more advanced harmony, really, in all of that stuff. So you're kind of learning it by osmosis so that when you, I would imagine that it made it easier to kind of segue into some jazz stuff because your ear was kind of already
1: there, right? Yes, it was. Uh, you know, cause, uh, Lenny Bro came into the picture, you know, cause right. Chet was kind of tutoring Lenny. I mean, as far as just, you know, Lenny was a, you know, like a, just a wealth right. full of knowledge, but, you know, and so, <clears throat> you know, Chet was trying to commercialize him a little bit. It was kind of hard to do, you know, when songs last eight minutes. Right. trying. To, we can't, we're trying to, you know, hone this down to three <laughs> minutes. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> Jazz song. But, uh, yeah, so Lenny was already, you know, doing those chordal things and, the, and uh, you know, jazz chords and things uh, with with the jazz lines and stuff and standards and stuff like that. So I, I got into that later. Also got into the jazz on the jazz end of it. I heard Pat Martino. But here's the weird way I got into jazz was listening to steel guitarist Buddy Emmons. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was like, I, I loved him. Right. And at home there, you know, we heard a lot of the, you know, we were fans of... Uh, guys that played on, you know, the, the bands like The Strangers with Merle Haggard and, uh, you know, Bob Wills. Dad was a big Texas swing fan, Bob Wills fan. So, you know, that, the, the, that jazz part of it, the Texas sure. jazz thing. Swing. So,
0: we're like, when you were in high school, did you play in jazz band and stuff like that? No.
1: I, I did a little bit, but, but but you know, playing jazz out in the bowling alley, just those two don't go together. Right. <laughs> you know, so we were playing bad company. That's, of course, that's where I got educated in ACDC and bad right, company, right, right. things like that. You know, and I was a big fan of like R and B music. More, I think, like Stevie Wonder and uh, Earth Wind and Fire too. So I, I got a whole study of that, right? Which I guess made me, you know, started shaping me into a studio player. So, you know, it's just you know have a knowledge of all that stuff. Beatles, George Harrison, throw that in the mix. Uh, you right. know, so you get a because it's like. Being a session player is like being a good historian because if they make right. references, hey, give me a, a, a Angus Young part. Oh, okay, like you know, back right. in you know, or something, you know. So sure. you know right away. So that's what we all do here. You know, we just steal as much as we can. <laughs> Stuff that was successful, we follow suit with it. You know, everybody right.
0: does. <laughs> well, at what point did you say I'm Nashville bound? That's what I want to do. Uh, well, again, that,
1: uh, my mom and dad had, uh, she knew, uh, I, I somehow got introduced to Paul Franklin. Paul, oh, I'd okay. sent a tape to, and I think Paul was playing with Jerry Reed or Mel Tillis. I'm not sure. And I sent a little cassette tape to him of me playing. I think, uh, mom knew his ex-wife or something. And, uh, I sent it and then I found out they were listening to my, uh, cassette on the bus for enjoyment, you know, for, huh? <laughs> which, you know, I said, man, he goes, yeah, why don't you come? This is, you always got to look for an in, right? Right. Somebody that wants to help you. Uh, that, cause you know, I didn't know much about Nashville other than just, just, I, that's, I thought that's where I needed to be. And so when I, when I got invited down and Paul Franklin kind of introduced me and let me sit in on a few sessions, watching guys at Pete Drake's studio and stuff. And, uh, Paul was playing and guys like Fred Newell and, uh, you know, uh, Reggie Young and all those guys sure. got
0: to watch them, you know, and learn. So thanks to Paul Franklin, steel player. Right, right. So, so upon going down, so what? What year is this about that you went down to? Um, it like you like visited 80, first and then made the move, or it was you like eighty three. Okay, eighty
1: three,
0: which is a it, it's it's amazing how. How many
1: years went by with that? 83? <laughs> Lord. And, and again, thinking about it, you know, I like, yeah, that was a long time ago. It doesn't seem that long ago to me, you know. Right, right, right. Was, uh, yeah. So I think it was summer 83. I got just started playing in this uh, club. Uh, Paul Franklin, uh, his brother-in-law, Greg Galbraith, who was a studio player at the time, he was playing on, like, Travis Trip Records. And I think he, he started out playing with this uh, opera. star, Bill Anderson. Okay. And uh, he helped me get a gig into the the club circuit. You know, they were looking for guitar players. This Don Kelly was right. a, the band leader. So I went in an audition and got the gig. So that's how I got in there. Thanks to Greg Galbraith and Paul Franklin.
0: Yeah, that seems to, you know, since then, that really have seemed to have been um, kind of the grooming stable for the, for the, yeah. the telly hot shots of Nashville. I mean, it's really, I mean, not that you didn't already have your 10,000 hours in prior to getting there, but it sounds like it's a really cool environment to just be able to, to work a bunch of, bunch of stuff out and practice.
1: Yeah. Like and boy, uh, it was, it, there were some great players around. It was like, man, you know, you're throwing into the hot pot in Nashville. Like you're, you know, you're the best player in your little, uh, little town in Ohio. And then this is where all the great guitar players, the best in their hometowns congregate and come in and you go, Oh, I gotta do some woodshed now, you know. Right, right, right. It's like it, it puts some fire under your pants, you know, to you know, to hear the great guitar players that's going that's playing with you or around you, or just you hear so many, you go, shit, I gotta right. strap down and woodshed, baby. <laughs> you know, but it was a good club. It was a good Don Kelly's club was was where all the musicians came to, ha- to hang out. You know, and then uh, it was kind of a hot spot, and uh, you just would. It was hard to tell who who would come in and jam. You know, um, but uh, then Chet Atkins came and watched. Heard about it. Came in, and watched me play. Brought guys like Martin Offler in and Neil Sean, oh, even from that genre. You know. Um Ray Flack, who played great. Oh yeah. Ray great. Flack. I
0: love Ray Flack.
1: Ray's great. Yeah. So even George Benson came in one time, you know. It was like Ooh. very nerve-wracking. <laughs> for a young guy, you know, I just I couldn't even keep food down. I was so nervous about that time. <laughs> just looking out there and see the, you know, the guitar grates everywhere going, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems Nerve.
0: it seems to have worked out for you, Brent. I think it's I think well
1: it's it has. Yeah, it has. It's <laughs> yeah, we all run, you know, pay our dues and you know, do you know, we have to get thrown in the fire. Indeed. Oh, babies thrown in the pool. Swim. <laughs> That's Swim, right. kiddo.
0: Come on. <laughs> I'm trying. So, so from the point that you were playing with Don Kelly, how how quick did the sessions come? Was it like an like, oh, you gotta check out the new hot shot down at, you know, playing with Don. Maybe I'll hire him here, there, or did it or was it was it pretty quick after that?
1: It's a, it, 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 you know, I would say it was pretty quick. You know, Don would always play some cool songs and, uh, you know, and this guitar players drop. Oh, yeah, come on. I heard about your playing, man. Play, you know, play something for me, you know. And uh, I mean, I'm going to sit, watch. Like I said, I saw those kind of cats come in and watch. Right. It was nerve wracking, but it was time to, you know, show them what you had. It was, it was, I think I had more even when I got in the studio after that, it was more nerve wracking to me because I felt like I had to be judged. You know, the first time you're looking at David Hungate on the bass and right. Larry London on the drums and, and they're looking at you like, well, it's, I've heard about him. Let's see what he can do. Right. Let's watch him. You know, it's like, if I don't play great here, I'm probably done, <laughs> which in my, in my head, that was, that was how I judged it. But, uh, uh, you know, so there, it was a very you know it, you're always under the lights, you know, sure. when you first come here, there's so many, and so many have to go home with their tails between their legs, you know right, right, right but so but, was- but, but, but the th- the whole back on the Don Kelly thing, yeah, it didn't right. take long till that was a musician's musician band, you know, right. And, you know, great players followed that, like Johnny Hyland and a bunch of people, you know, Guthrie Trapp and, you know, Daniel Donato. Everybody, it seemed like a whole generation went down. Don kind of groomed them, you know. Right. (laughs) A lot of them have have great careers now. I was kind of the first start of that batch, I guess, you know, the predecessor of all that.
0: So when you started doing sessions, was it... um you know, were there like just Nashville number charts? Were there regular charts or a lot of times it was just like, Oh, here's the demo. Let's listen to it and play it. Or kind of a combination of all of the above
1: uh, it, a, a combination, but it was a uh, number charts. 99.99% were, were number charts. Right? right. And I was just learning the number charts and uh, David Briggs, who played with Elvis, he played a lot of records of Elvis. And, and of course he's a legendary. He had written the first chart, Out, and he wrote some little scratch, like chicken scratch above it with with some phrasings, you know. And there were numbers I was going, I'm not sure what, because it it sort of did a modulation. So he wrote like three flat over six or so, you know, it gets kind of strange. And I was having a hard time with it. And he goes, uh, he was like, he, he was kind of pushing me. He goes, come on, man. This is just a three-hour session, you know? And I was going, oh, okay. And then Charlie McCoy, <laughs> you know, I love David now. We've worked together a lot. We laugh about tell that story. But Charlie McCoy, the, the great harmonica player, you know, right. in, the music, uh, in the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, helped me. He goes, David, leave him alone. He's, he'll get it. Okay, geez, and I went. So every time I see Charlie, I go thank you, Charlie, for that. You you saved my ass on that one. And you know, let me know what I can do for you. Free free overdubs or whatever for for life. I don't know, but he, you know, Charlie McCoy kind of helped me on that. I was I was like getting yeah, sitting on need, needles and pins, you know. Uh, but the number charts, you know, I got to learn them. And you know, and when, when you go into Nashville real quick, you you have no idea what we're going to record there. Right. You know, unless you're the leader and you're writing charts, so, you know, now they'll send you the songs ahead of time and you get a, you get a heads up on them by you writing charts. Anybody else, Sidemen that are coming, have no idea what they're going to be playing. Right. For the, for the most part, uh, unless you know the artist, if it's, you know, if they say Tim Faith Hill or something like that, well, you've got a pretty, pretty good idea. It might be, you know, what she usually does. But if it's a new artist, we go, hmm, we've got to figure out what we're going to do with this one. And you get there and you kind of develop the artist. You go, I'm, let me grab a Gretsch over here and give a, give them a little uh, retro kind of Gretschy sound. You know, it's just to sure. kind of make the... But, but it's just like at a minute's notice, you know, they play you the song. You look at the chart. There's no music. It's not like David Foster, you know, or everything's written out or something like that. or Gretschy sure. Jones. It's just it's just the producer goes, cigars, you know, back then. Give me nitro intro on this a little old kind of Dwayne Eddy or something, you know, you go, okay, how about this? So you grab a grinch and you, you know, right, right. You start to whittle away at the song. You you got a lot of creativity uh, input on on recording in Nashville. So, you know, it starts like that. Go ahead, and And, You know, we shape the song too. We go, Hey, let's cut that solo in half, you know, and you know, or whatever, or add some onto it or come up with an intro sig sig intro. Right, a
0: lot of times. Go ahead. Well, you, you reference like grabbing grabbing the Gretsch and knowing and, and being able to respond to producers wanting what they want. I'm wondering, from your point of view, I mean, what was the learning curve like when you started to do these sessions? Did you like, you know, figure well, I got to have at least these flavors available right away, and mm-hmm. how quick did, quickly did that advance to like multiple amps? Or you know, obviously back in the yeah. day it was probably racks of stuff, and then now it's probably you know, regressed yeah. a little bit in terms of more organic stuff. But how, how did that all transpire for you?
1: Well, when I first started, you know, when things started to kick in, I mean, at first before, like, let's say pre-Allen Jackson or Brooks and Dunn, let's say before that, you know, we were coming out of that urban cowboy phase, uh, which was, uh, uh, it was kind of a, uh, Jimmy Bowen was, uh, you know, doing a lot of records. He was running MCA and stuff. And he had everybody going direct, Oh, okay. You know, even the drums w- were direct, you know, like D drums, <laughs> and uh, yeah, everybody had, you know, was trying to get their uh, amp emulator, you know, boogie pros or something, whatever sure, you call them, studio. Yeah, everybody. And all they do is just EQ them like they're like a speaker. You know, back then they didn't have the technology like the Kemper's or something like that. Now, okay. and. My eyeballs were hanging out trying to make that thing sound like an amp because we had to go direct, you know. And a lot of those guys like Reggie Young kind of perfected uh, running direct, you know. And uh, because, but he liked to use a deluxe amp or something. But you know, Bowen had people running direct. And then when I came into those sessions, everything was like you know like uh, digital delays, running amp racks with parametrics. Let me let me work on your tone, you know. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you got no control. I can't, you know. Then pretty soon they had it sound like a transparency scooped out kind of thing. And, and you know, everything was stereo. So it had the, you know, the nice uh, stereo imagery. It was all, you know, like real kind of popish. uh and, and that sounds pretty good when you got your headphones. Like, hey, this is, I'm wide, baby. I'm, I got a wide sound. Yeah. And then when they get in there, they mix it. They take half of your, I only need that mono. And then all of a sudden, when you hear what you got, it's it's like a thin piece of paper, you know, <laughs> with a little chorus on it sounds so cheap. So I, oh, I hated that. So when we, when we got Brooks and Dunn, you know, uh, we we just drug in our smoke, smoky, grilled, amp, you know, amps in, turned them on, had a buzz, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they just got more Roadhouse stuff. Alan Jackson, we did, you know. Dwight Yolkham and Pete Anderson, they were all doing it out on the West Coast. And I was really digging what Pete was doing. And Dwight, you know, still cool, right? Still right, still absolutely. to me, is, it'll always stand up as being a cool sound. Cool uh, recordings. So, you know, we did that. And pretty soon, you know, we get, we got everything back to use and amplifiers again. I mean, I'm not going to take full credit for that. But, you know, like I said, Pete Anderson, they were doing it out on the West Coast. Uh, Marty Stewart and everybody was sure. still doing that stuff. So, you know, we started making records like that and we got back then we got back to, you know, uh lo-fi analog pedals, you know, because everything right. was so digital. It's like we we got a really fat. This, you know, digital really sucked back then. It was edgy and, you know, not like it is now. Right. Uh we used uh analog pedals, tube amps, you know, fender amps, Marshalls, and, you know, later got into Marshalls, you know. Uh, but, but more so back then, you know, I would, I'd try to put a lot of crunch on a record they go, Oh no, 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 no. We can't get too distorted on this. This is a country ah. record. <laughs> this is back in the nineties, you know, <laughs> times have changed. Right. You can, you can do a little Keith Richards grunge crunch on it. You know, that's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so it now, now you can see where it is now. It's like, you know, right. it's, it's definitely evolved into a more of a rock, uh, exactly. element to it.
0: So, at what point did like you know Fender just put out that glorious version of your old Telecaster? At what point did that guitar, your original one, enter the? Or was that the guitar you went to Nashville with? Or is that something that you tweaked yeah. on the way? Or when did that come into the picture?
1: No, I didn't. I came to Nashville, believe it or not, with a Hagstrom Swede. Ah, huh. and who you know anybody that played the Hagstrom Swedes? It seems like. Uh, um, who had who played that? Uh, Bob Seeger, I think, had it run one, right? He was just playing Crazy. rhythm one. Yeah, but it sounded pretty good. It was like a less Paul ish kind of thing. And yeah. Don Kelly goes, Boy, you got to get a telecast. You got to get you a telly. I go, Yeah, I know, man. So we went out and shopped, you know, and, uh, you know, these, uh, this one, you know, this is how it looks now. It was much prettier when I bought, but we, I bought this out of a uh, uh, music store, a uh, corner music, uh, no, I'm sorry, Hughley's. Which is in East Nashville at the time. I bought that one. Don Kelly bought a, a, a like a cream colored one or something. And uh no, I, I bought that one. And Don bought this one. And when we got in the club to play, and I go, Can I play that gray one? That primer coat one. <laughs> Don goes, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, play it. And I go, Man, I, I kinda like this one. He goes, I'll keep it. I'll take this one. He trades them off about every other week anyway, you know. <laughs> so that's how I got that one. I had to come to Nashville. But, uh, you know, it was like I needed a Tele. Uh, you got to have a Strat or a Tele, you know, right. for sure. And not a Hagstrom Swede. Nothing against them. It was a right, good sounding guitar. <laughs> but not for uh, Nashville at the time. So, yeah, I didn't come with that. Bought it here.
0: And so I when stayed. did you start adding the, the other pickups and kind of tweaking it? Or did it already kind of come with the goodies on it?
1: No, it was just standard uh telly uh, I, there was some guys you know I always watched Steve Moore's play he had a bunch right. of pickups in there and then there was a guy in Nashville that, that uh, he, he passed well a while back a guy named Sid Hudson from Virginia mm-hmm. he had a middle pickup in there on his telly and I always admired that I thought that was kind of cool I don't right. I don't know it wasn't quite the Joe Glazer uh, touch to it or it didn't have the same electronics but somehow it, I'm not sure how it worked but it had a middle pickup might have had a switch for it or something Mine has a dial in knob for the middle pickup, volume wise, and so I had Joe. I thought, also, I've said this many times. I could, you know, I was at the point where I couldn't afford to keep like two, three great guitars at the same time. I'd trade one one in to get another, you know. Sure. So I like had a less a three thirty five. I traded in to get a a Tally, you know. So I thought I gotta make this guitar kind of do everything. So I put a you know the miniature humbucker in there, a Gibson to do kind of a Les Paul thing or whatever. Sure. But I kept the back pickup, it, uh, you know, single coil, because, you know, the twang factor. And then the middle one was a hot stack Seymour. So they were Seymour in the back. I think I originally had a 5'2", or what, what, I can't remember what they called that thing. But now it's a vintage stack in the back. It's it's always been that for a while. And, uh, you know, the new ones come with the Seymour uh, mini humbucker in the front. You know, so it... it right. I like those miniature humbuckers at a telly. They always had a little snappier sure. uh, treble to them. You know, they weren't too dark stuff. So that's how that came about. It was just a I just could only afford one guitar when sure. I was 27 years old. Uh, it was just like I was trying to, you know, yeah. live in an apartment and then, then later a duplex and, you know, trying to trade and trade things to get another thing, right? You we absolutely. all went through that, right? I'm oh, sure.
0: Absolutely. I remember those <laughs> days well. You had your main guitar, a spare if you're lucky and you're acoustic and then <laughs> yeah right then that's right you know i was interested you know this last summer when we were hanging out and i saw you do your set and i heard that you know that the tone you know and, and of course back in the day i just kind of took it for granted oh it's just it's a back pickup on a telecaster but it's it's thicker than that and i and i'm wondering, do you always have a little bit of that blend of that middle pickup in there when you're doing your your kind of main chicken pick any type of a sound it just seems thicker than just a regular bridge pickup by itself do you kind of blend uh,
1: no well I, I think that's attributed to the it's a southern ash wood right and okay. it's not it, it, uh, when i bought it somebody had stripped the uh the finished lacquer off of it, stuff and put car primer code on it uh you know like we was going to repaint it went nah, i'm gonna trade this in i'm gonna take it Right, right. And, uh, I bought it like that, and it sounded like what you're explaining so much that I didn't want to re finish it or anything. Right, right. And I think that's a, that, what you're talking about is attributed to the southern ash wood, which, which, you know, it's been floating around in a swamp for a while, and then cured, right. dried out, with, and it's perforated a little bit. You know, when things the swamp ash dried out, it perforated, but gave it acoustic quality.
0: Yeah, 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 or not,
1: yeah. And it always it always had just a fatter sound to it. Uh, I like that, you know. Sometimes I was trying to get a little more of a, of a edgier twang out of it that I found a, found hard to do till I found the right p- pickup for it, you know. Uh, right, right. But it was always like real beefy and testosterone loaded, yes. you know. It had some. It's glorious. It's yeah, it part. is.
0: <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers. Makers of the Greg Koch signature Fluence Gristle tone pickup set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> so let me tell you. I might ask you about the uh, the the B Bender scenario. When did you when did you make that foray? And what was the impetus behind it? Was it uh, Of course, you know, I listen to all those old Clarence White things and they're awesome, but then, you know, Albert Lee playing on Sweet Little Lisa, that, you know, Uh Jimmy Page using one. I mean, that's, I think that's really how I heard about it first was Jimmy Page using, like, what the hell is this thing? And then I went backwards, but.
1: Yeah, I was hearing, okay, so uh, the kind of the beginnings of that was it was coming, you know, like, I think even John Jorgensen was doing some of those old records, too, back then uh, in the 80s. 80s, late 80s, early 90s, maybe. Uh, I put had one put in. I I went to a, a session. I was booked on Patty Loveless. I don't know if you remember her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Henry yeah. Gordy was producing her. Who produced you know a bunch of some great records. I was playing the, uh, you know, I was doing kind of a B bender. It's like fake. I call it a fake steel guitar gag licks. You know, trying to get them down, down. You know, pulling the triads down with the third string, downward right. pulls, and and Emery, I think, oh man, B bender. Yeah, let's let's start using that. Now I got. I was thinking, uh, okay, I'm not using. I'm not going to tell them though. I'm just going to fake them out and keep doing it. You know, the B bender, let's do some more of that, man. And I, and by the time I got done with that session, my hands were like bleeding from you know my <laughs> fingers were all like, I hadn't seen that in a while. And I went, shit, I gotta get a B, I gotta get a B bender, you know. And so I got the B bender installed in it because of that, just kind of mainly because that was kind of being a hot thing at sure. the time, you know, guys. And you know, uh just just uh it was just, you know, so meant so much of it in the records, and they were great. Um so I went ahead and got it, you know, installed. And I was about the time we were doing American Music Shop and some of those shows. But yeah, I was always a fan of like just the just the B bender, like Clarence White stuff like you're talking about. That's yeah, yeah. I was liking those old like Bakersfield kind of steel guitar licks and the you know the 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 bend up, you know, from the from the two to the three, you know, sus resolve kind of things. Right. You know? I was a big fan of that. You know, like the old e- like the Eagles records at the time, you know. Right, exactly was cool. I always thought it was cool. It, it saved a lot of wear and tear on my fingers trying to, <laughs> you know. No, but, you but, problem. I've I, always I like had the problem. too.
0: There's something cool about that stuff,
1: too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
0: go ahead. I've I just found that, you know, I, I've got a B-Bender Tally and and uh, used it on a bunch of my earlier stuff, and um, it, I, did, I had to do a NAM show one year and I had to do like seven of these like half hour things. It was back in the, I was doing the stuff for Fender back in the day and my back went out and I was down for the count for like, Fourteen days, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> now I was out of shape at the time, and I had a. You know, but but the bottom line is, I I always thought I was that damn B bender. So then years went by, and I really yeah, to playing the uh, B bender. And I started like, earlier on in quarantine. I started messing around with the B bender again, and I'm like, oh, this feels good. I'm back. Well, I'm in better shape now, and yeah. And within 48 hours, I had these little stabbing back pains again. Have you had any problem with? B-bender back angst. I just find it's the right amount of weight in the wrong place that tweaks my back. Maybe it's just because I'm a big... Yeah, sister. no, I...
1: <laughs> no, I can understand that, of course. You know, look like, you know, these this the way these things are set up, you know. The, the levers, you know, and you got them on this, on this, you know.
0: Exactly. You know, it
1: just, you have to pull. It looks like you have some kind of neurological disease or right, something. Right, exactly. You know I mean? uh, and it's harder to use if you're setting... In a right. Exactly. A, but I found, yeah, I got, yeah, quite a bit of pain, like tendons, just because I was going like this, you know. I, then I had to stretch my leg out and play like this so I could do the bend, you know. Because if you're playing a fast tune and you're throwing a quick B bend, B bender lick in, it's like you can't get it fast enough, you know. You gotta, right? You gotta situate yourself right, you know. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think I was ever put in bed because I think I probably would have had more trouble if I played a Les Paul, you know. Right. Because those are so damn heavy, but uh, the the tail, yeah, it's it's a uh, and I had it set up stiffer, right? With the tent, you know, the pull, yeah. Because you're sometimes just their pitch will start going just from being, yeah. Because under- you can play unless you're standing like like a statue, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it was like you know, you know, bend a little bit if you moved, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had to have it stiff set, set up in a stiffer way. So I'm it made it easy, you know, cooler to, to play the b better licks without them sounding sour, but it made it harder on your shoulder, you know, because. Right. Exactly. So much resistance there.
0: Well, <laughs> these days, you know, I see, you know, your, your posts on Instagram are very cool showing you going into sessions and so on and so forth. And as you said, you're always maxed up and, and doing the social distancing, but sessions are still happening. And I'm curious as to,
1: that's a way so to much. say it, when you don't get called for sessions anymore. I'm social distancing. <laughs>
0: right.
1: I'm no, we're all <laughs> they don't call you, do they? No, social distancing. That's right. I'm trying to keep it. It's a and social I keep distancing a thing. On, That's why. Know? It, yeah.
0: Right. But well, you uh, know, the guitar. The guitar has changed so much, and just country music. I mean, music in general has changed so much in terms of you know um, what's expected from a guitar player. What what kind of guitar playing is admissible and. <laughs> right, more, yeah. more popular music types of things. So, yeah. what kind of sessions, or how has it changed now versus back in the day, and how has it morphed over the years, or is it, you know, is, is has it always been a little bit? Yeah, I can play more in some stuff, but most of the times it's just parts and doing the yeah. hooks and that. kind yeah. of Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a play like I
1: said earlier. It's more you know you more slash kind of solos now, right? Right, right, right. Uh, uh, back then you wouldn't have done that as much. I mean, you, you got away for a little bit. If it was a, a pop artist or something, but uh, country, you know, has adapted a little more to uh, you know the rock side. Now right. it's kind of hip hoppy with a bro country thing, you know, and uh, it's got this, you know, uh, like Chris Stapleton singing all those kind of fancy runs, you know, that right. he does so well. If if, if he would have done that back then, I go, oh no, you can't be singing that. That right. sounds too R and B. That's too many, too many runs for in your vocal and stuff, you know. That that that's not country. George Jones could do it if he would. well, I'm do- down in the pickup right. truck, you know, if you right. do those kind of things, those were good. Cause Jones really did a lot of move, you know, runs sure. with vocal. Uh, but if it got an R and B, you know, there was so many guys trying to put R and B into the country. It was hard to do. It was a guy T Graham Brown that kind of added a little bit to it, but it was a kind of a, it was more of a muscle shoals Memphis kind of thing too. Sure. those two sides of it. Um, uh, uh, but now the guitar playing. There's a lot of effects, you know. Right. You know. So I was always like, kind of. Ch- I want to choose effects. You can always. To me, you can always go overboard with effects. You know, cheese right. on the. You know, this far from being too cheesy and sure and loungy with effects. Right. Unless you were playing with Luther Vandross or something on a record like that or something, then you could do all the, you know, the sounds with the choruses and all that. Sure. So, you know, like Dan Huff came in and brought some of that sound, cool sound. He, what a guitar player he was. So a lot of times we were sat together playing on stuff and I'd watch him. I'd go, ah, that's a cool, he, he kind of had a cool sound for those without making it sound too cheesy, right? Sure. Uh, by analog choruses, like Dimension Ds and stuff right? Like that, you know? So I was just real picky with, with, with uh, effects, You know, when it was time, you felt it was time to use one, then it was cool, you know, but more, more of the country records, like, you know, if you're doing like Brooks and Dunn or Alan Jackson, for sure, it's just, it's just all Fender amp and telly. Right. Right. But I mean, now it's more about what kind of, I remember setting in on a session or just uh, coming in for a session was a new artist. I don't mention them, but they were, you know, popular artists. It was more like, okay, do some effects. Now do it here. Now, put this in there now I'll do some kind of a, you know, a, a, a time delay, this and that, you know, a choppy a tremolo in time that, that shifts into this. And sure. I'm going, okay, well, wait a minute. So, but they weren't turning off the other stuff I just did. I said, can you take all that other crap out first? And let me, all of a sudden, it was like out of control. I couldn't even hear the record and all. And their goal was to just to get as much sounds as you can. Sure. And then, and then we'll choose. sort it out when we get home. But I, right. I like to hear something that's kind of, a record in the creation, you know, of it, and it's starting to sound like a record. I just, I just, that's the hardest thing for me is to do all that and, and to not have, I feel like I'm losing control of things. Right. Right. That most of the stuff being played is a bunch of trash. That's going to be, you know, deleted later. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, and there's some great, great music out there, you know, for sure. But it's just like, uh, it's, it's, it always changes like the, like the, you know, the, uh, Wrecking crew, I said every every decade, you know, there's a new evolution that comes around. You know, I've been I've been a bit of, you know a lot of three decades at least, you know, still doing that. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff in the nineties and then two thousand on into to 2012 and then, you know, just kind of still doing stuff, but not as much. But it's it's, you know, enough. It's a little right. more, more peripheral things going on now.
0: Right, right, right.
1: But but there is it seems like there's less solos. Right, you know, unless you're uh, Brad Paisley or Keith Urban, then you can do, do your, your own solo, solo yeah. yeah, or something. <laughs> uh, but mainly, solos just, you know, just are are kind of like let's get let's do the solo quick, you know, like a short attention span theater out there, you know. Right. Let's get to the hook. <laughs> solos are, and sometimes no solos anymore. You know, they're right. all just. Ooh, why, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's something like right. that now. That's the solo with vocals. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's it's just changed, you know. But I mean there's there's some it's kind of coming back a little bit now too, you know, the guitar playing. So yes, there's different levels of different styles coming in. So I hope that never goes away because uh, you know, we had a lot of fun playing so I had a lot of fun, a lot of all us guys, Albert Lee and you Know so many great Reggie Young, you know, right. just they did so much great solos that's synonymous with the song, sure, right? It'd, Absolutely, it, you know, like Drift Away. You, if you didn't have that intro in there, you, you wouldn't know what song it was, right? right. It's, so <clears throat> it's like, you know, Chattahoochee, yeah. it was part of the song, right? And I did so, uh, to me, I, I think it's you know, I always want country music to. to to be about guitars, they always say, hey, it's a guitar town, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, some low kind of hook lick. And we're still doing them, you know? It's just right. it's just every, it's just reinvention. I'll just stop there. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of babbling on, it's just, you, you gotta be, uh, you gotta reinvent yourself and just sometimes not do the obvious thing that get Brett Mason on there. We're gonna do it. It's a chicken picking song. He's gonna come in and chicken pick, but it's gonna be fabulous, you know, so I'll come in there and I'll go, maybe I'll do, I'll do this. And instead of a chicken picket thing, I'll do a, you know, a Gretsch thing or a Les Paul thing. And then they'll go, I didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> that was even better. We got to get him back on this next one.
0: Right, right, right. You know,
1: that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, so like they would have been happy if I had a chicken picked or whatever in there too. Yeah. That's exactly what we wanted to do. That's right. That's perfect, man. That's exactly, you know, maybe the next one we won't use that, but this one's good. So when you do something different, reinvent yourself, it it, it extends your longevity in the business. You know, it's always an element of surprise that that keeps you going.
0: Sure. (laughs) Well, when you mention, you know, like the Alan Jackson stuff and, you know, those guitar hooks are just so integral to the song. You know, I think some people have, you know, well, they have various different perceptions of things, but they think, oh, you played on this record that sold a gajillion, you must be a gajillionaire. Or by the same token, (laughs) they'll think... Oh no! All those guys—they got paid once and yeah. done. So what? I suppose it changes once your your stock value goes up. As I want Brent Mason on this record, then you know you probably get you know. Not that we need to know you know personal numbers of this, that, and the next thing. Oh, we Talk make hundreds. We make hundreds, Greg. <laughs> You're a thousand air. <laughs> yeah,
1: hundred air. No. Uh, yeah, you you know it's it you know it way back then uh, it was a lot of double scale stuff. You know, I went double scale when I was on a Ricky Skag session and everybody signed double scale like Larry London and David Hungate. They all signed double scale. They were done. And I was still sitting in a chair working on my solos. And then I worked about two hours extra than them and they got, they signed the same card. And then I went up and signed, oh, I'm single scale, you know, <laughs> and I did most of the work and they go, I go, damn, I'm going to, I'm going to go double scale. Right. So I went double scale, and you know, it's everything was kind of. Uh, it, it was a good time for for the music business and, and recording studios and and musicians. You know, uh, Jimmy Bowen paid everybody double scale. It Didn't matter who it was. You know, he he treated his musicians right. Of course, you, you know, you were kind of like loyal. Yeah, I'd be loyal to him. You know, and sure, not a lot of bad thing to be loyal to. is was getting called for records every week. You know, back to back. So. Um, you know, you know, we we do make some royalties off of sound scan, stuff like that. You know, there's a piece of the pie, you know, just like producers, you know, producers, artists make a little bigger piece, but it's a big pie. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, you get royalties every time serious radio plays something I played on, you know, and you can imagine every minute something's played, I'm playing on something. Right. You know, it's a lucrative thing. You make some royalties off of that. Excellent. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, it just, just the, the, the recording scale has went up quite a bit, you know, from what it used to be back in the sixties, of course. And cause I remember, like I was talking about George, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Charlie McCoy, all those guys, uh, you know, um, those, all those players back then, Henry Stralecki and all those guys. They, they sometimes work Buddy Harmon drums, you know, back in the Hatsy Klein days. They they'd sometimes right. never go. They'd walk in back at home about three in the morning. You know, they would do four sessions a day, oh you know, t- 10, uh, which is 10 for three hours. That's one session. And then come back for a two to five. That's the two sessions. And then 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. I'm sorry, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's the third session. That's the most I've ever done, you know. Uh, but they would come. They would co- do another three-block session after that ten o'clock. After that night time, nine of p.m. You know, the third session, they would do ten till till three or something, two two in the morning, and come home. They made a lot of money, but they were just in the studio, nonstop. You know, they just their family was the guys that their band in the studio, right? They never right. saw their wives. You know, that's why a lot of them didn't didn't their marriages didn't last too long.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And talk so, about if you could the you know, yeah. kind of the mentality of there are guys that went on the road. And would you lose your place in line if you went on the road? Or is it, or was the goal for everyone to just be, look, if you can stay in town and, and play and make a living, that's the goal. Or was there ever for you kind of the call to, to go on the road? Of course, this is pre-COVID where there's no there's no road right now. But right. but but prior to that, was there was there an artist or someone you can think of where you're like, you know, I would have, I would have toured with that person.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I didn't have to tour, so I didn't want to uh, because I I was packed in with sessions and and there was a time like, Oh, don't, Oh, don't call him. He's, he's out on the road with Tim McGraw, you know, he, or whatever. Uh, Yeah. He's not going to be, so they just right away wrote those people off. right? Right. And then they would, them too. He played on a lot of hit records. This guy, you know, let's get him on this one. He's he's the studio guy, right? Back then, you know, it's a little different now, some because of the you know technology and the home, you know, the Pro Tools and stuff like that, Nuendo, oh, right. all that stuff. They can they can make their own records. You know, I was playing on uh, what's what's his name the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Chicken Fried What's it, uh, Zach Brown Band? Okay, yeah, yeah. I played all that stuff, and then they made. You know, they made so much money. They had so much success that they could just camp out the studio and make their own records. Now they didn't need studio players, you know. Right. And they're good players, right? They just, but at their own leisure, could make great records. So just because of technology kind of, you know, brought in, you know, there's great uh, tour bands that play on the records now, too. You know, right. Alabama used to call us in as like... A, ringers, you know, like that, but some of them would play on it. You know, Jeff Cook would come in and play you know, his own stuff or solos or whatever. You know, but but always have they'd always kind of mince uh kind of peppered in with session players too, right? Just like just like the wrecking crew and, and on the West Coast. Uh but uh you know I think now it's more you know new blood is good uh if if you're playing uh, there's there's more groups that use their touring bands to record, you know, there's more of that than it used to be.
0: And Nashville certainly has changed, obviously, from when you first went down there, just in terms of everything, actually. But, uh, yeah. you know, you know uh, people ask, you know, they ask me stuff like this. I'm sure they ask you. But what would you say, you know, to uh, some young musician that says, I'm, I'm going to go down to Nashville and, uh, and try to make a living, uh, playing guitar. And I want to be a session guy or I'll play in a band or session gal or whatever the case may be. Um, what's your advice? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because you know, everyone has their, everyone has their own road to hoe is the bottom line, but where, what are some takeaways that you would say to somebody with, with eyes to move down to Nashville? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I, I try to, to be as
1: realistic as I can and, uh, you know, honest and upfront, transparent about everything. Uh, but if I feel like, uh, you know, I don't want to say you're not good enough or something like that. I'll, I'll say it's, it's a competitive, it always has been like this. It's, sure. it's a competitive environment. But, it's a, but, but for the most part, everybody's friendly. But you've got to, you know, like they always say, pay your dues. you got, you got to hang and kind of hang be ubiquitous at some sense and being you know getting right. around and playing with everybody meeting folks uh, it, it's you can't just roll into town w- without any credibility or, or you know uh, right. and just start you know land a gig and but if you go out and play like say you're am going almost sit here with there's a young there's a is hey, a young songwriter Marin Morris over here playing uh she could you play she's doing a, like a 200 a hundred dollar session you know yeah I could do it I want and she'll go I want you to play what you played when you we played at the bluebird you know that little part it was so cool it made this song okay yeah so you know you never then all of a sudden she selling millions of records you know right they're very you know you're then you're the guitar that Guitar player that plays on it. You know, it's just like, you never know what's going to happen. You got to be in the click. So it's hard to come down with a family and kids. Right. I'm going to, I've had that. I'm going to bring my wife and I got four kids, you know, and I'm just going to oh. haul them on down here and I'll <laughs> try to get into sessions if I can. Right. You go, Ooh, well, uh, uh, uh. no, I, right. I, I would I wouldn't, I would come down here and test the waters first. Right. And, you know, put your toe now, in the
0: water first. <laughs>
1: If you're if you're 19 years old and you're free and you know right. you Looks just like got rid of real. two or three girlfriends in the past couple of weeks, you know, come on down, baby. You know, come right. on down and and just hang and you know. And if you're a great guitar player, you'll you'll be you know you'll find something. Right. It's, there's a lot of competition, you know. But but uh, so that's the realistic kind of a uh, you know honest approach to it. You know, without but it's not like nobody's ever going to come down and 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 score a big gig or something ever right. again, you know, there's always going to be new guys and great guys that are com- coming up in the ranks, you know? So it's like, no more, we've had enough, no more.
0: Yes. There's again, no, it's <laughs> yeah.
1: no, it's just, <laughs> but you just got to, uh, you know, bear with it and, and try hard, be perseverant. You know, you always, those action words you know it's just you got to be able to hang and you know you can't just come in one week and go oh man those they're too good for me down here and that might be right right they might be too good for you down here. now you're either gonna stay and you're gonna work on your stuff listen be a listener and don't think you're you're too don't get cocky or too you know too sardonic or anything you know because It's about you know a lot of it's about being just you know a good friendly guy a nice personality too that helps too. So you'd be you could play your ass off and then you'd be an asshole, and no one wants it. And you you go home faster than you got here, you know. Right. So <laughs> so it's kind of like that. It's if that made sense.
0: Absolutely. Know. Well, I know when we were hanging out down in um, at that guitar camp that you you came up with some. I don't know I don't know how many stories you can. I can say, <laughs> yeah, was in trouble, but, you know, right, just some, some, um, maybe a, a couple of tales of your favorite session stories that maybe you could impart with us that would would not incriminate the living or the dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I can't remember what I
1: told there, but uh, there,
0: there was, was a one, George uh, Jones one that was. Particular.
1: Oh, there was a yeah. There's a lot of George Jones one, you know, because he's just a down home guy, you know, right, he's right. he's a you know he'll go out and get uh, on a break time. We're out going to you know to a restaurant or something to eat. Right? He's he just having his wife send his wife out to get Crystal's burgers. You know to bring back, and he eats them in the you know control room or something. But yeah, we, you know there was a there was an album that was done where uh, it were duets with George it was done out out at the, uh, you know I I'll see I can't remember the studio. Uh, the barn, yeah, the barn where all the famous Patsy Klein stuff is done, the Bradley, you know, Bradley's barn. Right. And they had uh, George team up with some pop guys, you know, some, some rock guys, you know, Keith Richards in there singing with him, looking face to face, you know, like Neil Diamond and whoever else. Martin Offer was in there with him. Right. And they Mark was singing. And here's the thing George had no idea who these, most of these guys were. Right. <laughs> I mean, we see Keith Richards, we know right away that's Keith Richards, right? Right uh or Peter frank you know whatever it's gonna be we know him george has no idea you know he goes he's singing with him he goes now what is it you do you what is it you do you, you sing with a group you know and he's going he goes yes I'll, uh uh dog straights you know, you are the lead singer right yep yes I am you know and he of course they know who George is so they sing a little while and then they they walk out uh Mark turns the corner to go to the control room George lags behind a little bit looks back at the band he goes Boy, I don't know how that boy got him a deal.
0: (laughs) You know. He wasn't quite familiar with the character voice scenario. No, no, right. (laughs) On your
1: MTV, you know. Right, right. It was a cool voice. Uh, George had no idea who any of these guys were. You got to love it. You got to love it. but A lot of stories like
0: that. (laughs) <laughs> How about guitar player stories? What's, what's, what's something that sticks out in your mind of, of getting to either play with one of your idols or um, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I was talking about Jerry Reed. When I first got to play with Jerry Reed, we were doing some kind of a, a promo video, and I was like, oh, Jerry Reed, wow. And Reed, you know, being crazy and kooky... Uh, he knew, you know, he, he tries to make you nervous, uh, right? So I'm playing, and I was getting ready to do some. He did something that I was getting. He goes, hey, son, play that thing left-handed. <laughs> Let's see what you can do with it. And I, I went, okay. And, it was, you know, of course, it sounded it's like i never played guitar in my life. After that, he goes, <laughs> yeah, try this with your fingers like that. And then they go, it's a rap. And I go, I didn't even get a... I didn't play. I look like a doofus playing this guitar. Reed is like ha 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 ha. You
0: know,
1: he got me. You know, he already, you know, knew about me and stuff like that. But I, I thought I had you know, it was one of those situations like, oh, I gotta prove that I can play good for Jerry Reed, right? Chet Atkins, you know, same way. He was talking about uh these bare-breasted women in some island out of the Caribbean or something. He goes, Well, how you ever you know there were some bare-breasted women that used to greet you when you come in? I go, No. I, I was I was worried about guitar. you didn't want he was messing with me right, <laughs> I said well, but I, I guess I could listen to this that's good I'm a guitar player, I'm interested in that stuff too, you know right. we can find a common interest there, but it was just stuff like that, you know guys that it, it's it's you never know when when you're gonna meet your idol what they're gonna do, you know, right you might go, boy, he was mean to me, and it ruined my whole life. you know it's just like right. you catch him at a bad time and you're you know you could be screwed, but uh it's uh it's never when you meet your it seems you find that if you meet Damn. your idol you, you 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 find it awkward sometimes because you put too much into it too much uh expectations into it or something well, so yeah, you absolutely need to maybe maybe not but
0: i, I had an experience where i played down at that crossroads guitar festival the very first one and Clapton was walking by me and he didn't hear us play i don't know if he had heard us from afar i didn't know if he knew who i was from adam yeah. But he was walking right past me with, with two of his bodyguards and we were backstage and his and he had his back to me and I I could have just like tapped on his shoulder. But I thought to myself, man, if he's a knob, that'll ruin a lot of stuff for me. So <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna let this yeah. one slide.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I was worried about when I did a show it was Willie Nelson's birthday bash, you know. Right. At the Beacon Theater in New York City. Uh and Ray Charles was up right in front of me like this you know, playing is, you know, he's playing and I'm right behind him with a guitar. We jam on some blues and he go, man, I like that guitar. You know. <laughs> and I go, thanks, Ray. Because I heard sometimes Ray can be a little irritable if he's not right. in comfort zone, you know, but he was real sweet and he be you know, maybe have a little glass of, a tall glass of beer down there he was looking for you know, <laughs> in between. But it was like, that was a good experience. It could have been bad, right? Because we right. all love Ray. I mean, he's he's like, you know, uh, pinnacle icon. icon, Right. Um, anyway, yeah. So not a guitar player, but still. Right. One of the best ever. Right. Uh, good meeting, but there's some, there was some, sometimes, uh, some, I hear those stories about meeting them and and they just go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I'll look for somebody more important.
0: Right, right, right. Right.
1: And you you go, Oh, crush me. Right. (laughs) Sometimes you don't want to meet the people you
0: idolize, you know, Exactly.
1: So, I was yeah, going, just that. to get
0: back to Jerry Reed for just a minute, because okay. I was so freaked out about his playing. And I would hear the thing. I think Chet Atkins explained that sometimes Jerry would come up with those tunes in the studio and play them once and then, like, forget them. Is, yeah. is, that, is that true? Very true. Most of yeah. them.
1: <laughs> or he would relearn them in a, co- a cooler way or a different way. Uh, that's why Jerry called himself, I'm not a guitar player, I'm a guitar thinker. Right. And I go, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he would come up with this stuff. And, it, you know, to me, the records really displayed that. It was like a well full of just, just, comp, just filled with cool things. Every time you stick it on here, you'd hear something else cool. Right. They're bur- buried in there somewhere. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah, but he would, it was all kind of a, you know, a studied piece, just like a classical piece. Right. Right. You don't improvise much on a classical piece that much. And that's kind of what Jerry was doing. But, but, but he, if he'd come into an improvised solo or something, single string, you know, that, you know, he would just, that would be off the cuff. Right, but but the, but the you know the whole structure of the song was based around yeah, stuff he worked out. Right. right, and if he do not if, if you don't play that stuff, it's a lot of it's just very muscle memory. Exactly that kind of style, well, and if you don't play it all the time, too, right? you just
0: forget it. Unless exactly. then you
1: got to get it back out and go bit for bit and try to relearn it.
0: You know exactly, exactly. That was the when I finally started. Um, I didn't grow up listening to country music. You know, I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know when I was in college, a, a buddy of mine um, would play some Merle Travis stuff, and he'd go in and get his little Sucretz case out, and his guitar case, and get his thumb pick out, and he would start doing the Merle Travis stuff. And I was like, right. "What the hell?" Uh, and it wasn't until later <laughs> until I started to figure out the Chet stuff, and it, and, it, yeah. I, and both the Chet and. Merle uh Merle Travis and and Jerry as you said it's like if you got to keep on top of that stuff because it is well you
1: you've got a lot of that stuff you've kind of compiled it all I see all that in your plan it makes your you know your style I mean you've got a lot of elements of a lot of things in your the way you play so yeah well you're okay yeah I think you're great I what you know when we were doing I'm just kidding you're great when I was at the you know we were doing the thing I was like wow what did you just do (laughs) It <laughs> was a lot. of, I wish I, you got to show me that one. You know, <laughs> we never got a, we never really got. You know, we were all. It was kind of a rigid schedule. You yeah, know? Yeah, we yeah. Never yeah, got to you know, show me well, something. Well, I'll well, show you something.
0: Yeah, well, we'll we got to hang. Well, you played that one shuffle tune. I was going through the because we our our workshops was at a, at, a, at a different time, and and I love to do a, a kind of a, a thing where I'll just kind of pedal tone on the on the open E string and start doing a shuffle thing with different chord voicings and stuff. Right. And uh, and I'm walking through the woods, and I hear you doing this thing, and you you had the coolest little turnaround in there. And <laughs> later on in the day, where I went over, and you were just finishing up at your workshop, and and a couple of people were around, like show me that shuffle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that it was out of that little pavilion out by the yeah, lake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was be fun. a lot like of next, that. Next year, if I would it hear happens, things. I would hear things like from you or or from Andy Wood or a- Andy Timmons. You know, like, right, 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 and uh, all, Mark, all those guys. Uh I go I hear him often, they're just, what the hell do you he just do out there? Right. There's a lot of st- a lot of music going out in the woods out here uh, right. around the lake, you know. <laughs> out there by the lake
0: and everything, you know. Down there by the lake Yeah, one down time, there by isn't... the lake. But <laughs> <laughs> you don't well, hopefully we'll part do part that of. again. That'll be great. I mean it'd be fun to hang out and play a little bit more and sure, some trumpet, it would. As the case yep. may be. It's I hope it
1: comes around. I've done many of those, you know. Right. Since all the the COVID stuff, but you know, and it's it's even scarier to get out there now, you know, unfortunately. So yes, I mean, hopefully all true. these vaccinations and then you know all these different strains are coming up every time. I hope, oh no.
0: Right. There's a new variant. Variant, <laughs> gonna, yeah. Oh, variants. Oh. Great. Fantastic. What we, well, Greg, what are we gonna do? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep on keeping on, is the bottom yeah, line. That's what we'll do. We gotta <laughs> be positive. All right, Burrow. <laughs> well, listen. What an absolute pleasure wrapping with you, and I certainly hope we can hang Likewise. out in person one of these days and do some plan and yeah, cause a little I, trouble. Yeah, because we're ready for it. We are indeed.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. are you in National? What is it you while? do is again? <laughs> uh, the Dar... What you call it? You're the Streets. And oh, dire Streets. How do you <laughs> get him a deal? Yeah, you boy got him a deal. I don't know.
0: All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, funny. All right, my friend, will you take care of yourself? Hope to All right, see bro. you soon. All Thanks right, so much for doing it. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.